0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org.
1: Our scripture reading today is from Exodus, chapter 14, verses 21 through 29 and Exodus 15, verses 1 through 11, and verses 21 through 22, which you will find in the Old Testament section of our Pew Bibles, beginning on page 62, or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen.
2: The Lord had led the Israelites to the seashore. The Lord's pillar of cloud and fire stood between the Israelites and the pursuing Egyptian army. Exodus 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left.
1: Please join me in responsive reading of this song that Moses and the Israelites then sang to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord Lord is my strength strength and my might. might. He he has has become become my my salvation. This is... Well "'Praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. "'The, the Lord, Lord is a warrior, the Lord, Lord is his name. "'Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. "'He picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. "'The floods covered them, they went down into the depths like a stone.' Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. And deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said... I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? awesome in
2: splendor, doing wonders. Verse 20. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: How many
3: of you either had bedtime stories read to you or read to your kids or grandkids? Quite a few of us. You know, there's certain bedtime favorites like Barnyard Dance, that's well-worn, maybe The Velveteen Rabbit, 10 Minutes to Bedtime, The Hamsters Give a Tour that Leads the Kids to Bedtime, or maybe Goodnight Moon. How many of us could recite Goodnight Moon? Right from the beginning of the good night moon, good night room, all to the end. Good night stars, good night air, good night noises everywhere. One little kid turned to her mom at the end after the gazillionth time and said, Why doesn't it say good night me? We all want to find ourselves in the story. And some of us feel more and more these days like we've taken a big detour, like we don't know where our story is leading, or maybe even we know where we're headed and how did we get here. We're looking for God to direction. And it's not as simple as it was in Scripture, where there was a pillar of fire guiding the Israelites at night, where there was a cloud by day, Sometimes we wish that it was that clear, that we had the GPS coordinates. And so here we are today. We stand at the edge of the Red Sea with the Israelites. If we put ourselves in this story, we could feel how it may feel. We can get a glimpse to have the sea behind you. We haven't taken a straight path, and how did it lead us here? The sea is behind us, and the Egyptians, with all their terrible chariots, are coming right towards us. And later, when they think about it, they realize that the Lord has fought for them. But first, they had to live through it. Those moments. You face an impossible life or death situation. Perhaps you feel like you've been there. Then can you imagine when the waters part and you walk and you run and you dance through to safety and then the waters close again before, behind you and you are finally safe, kind of out of that difficult situation, the enslavement? This story is told over and over again in the Bible. You can look it up. It's told by Joshua, the psalmist, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Jesus, Peter, Paul, this is one of the key stories of the Bible. And when I call it a story, I'm not referring to it as make-believe, like our nighttime stories that we tell our kids and one another. But one of the things about stories is they show what matters most to us. And in the case of bedtime stories, it's often that our children are loved, they're well-loved, and often that we need some peace and quiet, right? So, in these stories, in the way they're told and retold in Scripture, we learn what has mattered most to God's Scripture, I mean, to God's people to God to tell us in scripture, to pass on those words. Miriam proclaims, Miriam is Moses' sister. She proclaims, sing to the Lord my God, for God is highly exalted, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. So this story of the crossing speaks so powerfully of our redeeming God who leads us in unexpected ways through our detours. It's no accident that we tell and retell this story of this story on Easter because it speaks again of God's victory. The Easter victory of God raising God's son from death to life. Both of these stories have huge implications. History is changed from these moments forward. God is the one who acts. But God also empowers God's people to believe and to follow God in the face of seemingly impossible odds. Now, one of my professors at Princeton, Dennis Olson, used to say this. The Exodus and the Red Sea stories assure us that seemingly small acts of obedience, like putting one foot in front of the other, can have big participation in a much larger cosmic drama, which involves God's defeat of evil and redemption in this world. Just doing the next step, taking the next step, has a much larger meaning. We'll see this again in Luke 10, if you look for the story of when Jesus sends out the 72 to preach the gospel. Jesus says that he rejoices and says that he saw Satan fall like lightning. God's victory is sure, but we need to be part of the story to take the next step in faithfulness for it to begin its work in us. Now, I have an author I like. I know some of you have heard of him, Jib Miller. He wrote the book Blue Like Jazz. He shares his key discoveries. The book we'll be talking from a little bit today is Uh, a million miles in a thousand years. And this is one of what he says, one thing. You'd think God would come right out and tell us what to do in the Bible, but God doesn't. God mostly tells us stories, and God rarely stops the story to tell us what the point is. God just lets lets the characters and the conflict hang there like smoke in the air. Maybe that's why stories are so powerful, because we have to listen, we have to engage to begin to understand, for them to do their work in them. And in worship and in our time reading scripture, we have the job and the delight to look closely at what is the grand narrative of the Bible. What is God telling us? What does it teach us about who God is, what God does? And what it means for us. We have this opportunity again. We learn in the pages of scripture that God acted again and again to save God's people Israel. And God acts again and again in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God acted in the early church and citation that God will act again in our lives. We have a front row seat To see what God will do next. By the way, as I was preparing for this sermon, there's one new fact that I found exciting that I had um, never seen before, that as we told the stories, and my apologies that the version we were uh, working from didn't match what was on the screen. We'll work that out. But we were hearing the song of Moses and the people, and this is actually the first time in scripture that it has included a song that a leader led the people in. So choir, you're in good standing, going all the way back to this moment at the Red Sea. And then, of course, Moses leads the people, and so does Miriam and the women. We can sing along with the Israelites. Who among the gods is like you? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Some of these things are picked up in the Psalms. That models for us too, but those come later. And so you can see this image is actually from a psalter from the 9th century, an illustration of Miriam and the people dancing after going through the waters, finishing up their trek across the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. The stories are important. And the story we covered last week of the Passover and the Red Sea crossing are central to Jewish faith and then also to our faith, continuing on the journey that Jesus leads us on. The stories God has passed down to us from generation to generation, back to that very first step on dry land, the singing and dancing. And so God's stories and our stories begin to intertwine. So I wanted us to take a look at the power of stories to shape our action. Miller writes, a story is based on what people think is important. So when we live a story, we're telling people around us what we think is important. Think about that. When we live a story, we're telling people around us what we think is important. Of course, they could look at what's in our wallet or on our calendar or in our balance to know what we also think is important. But the way we live it out, the way we talk about it, we're telling a story not only of our faith, but of how God is working. Miller began writing the story of his life for a movie, and in the process, he learned what makes for a good story, and he realized he wasn't living one. And so he tells about how this light bulb went on for him, He said, basically, if you come down to it, a story is a character who wants something and overcomes something, overcomes conflict to get it. That's the basic structure of a good story. You probably could recognize it in most of the stories that you've read over time, the classic stories. That's how it goes. There's conflict, and it's something we need for growth. And in the process, if we change our story, we change our character but we don't really usually want to do that. So Miller highlights the one thing we need for growth in one word, conflict. And most of us don't like that idea very much. It's not comfy. Even though we know that great stories are told in conflict, we're unwilling to embrace the potential greatness of the story we're actually in when we're in the middle of it. Potential greatness of what God could do next. We think, when we're having difficulties, that God is unjust rather than a master storyteller. Because God is not as concerned with appearances and making us have a life of ease. God is more concerned with helping us become more and more like his son, Jesus. God is more concerned with helping us live out his great story than the appearance of how it looks to others. Miller says, here's the truth about telling stories with your life. It's going to sound like a great idea, and you're going to get excited about it. And then when it comes time to do the work, you're not going to want to do it. It's like that with writing books. It's like that with life. People love to have lived a great story, but few people like the work it takes today to make it happen. But joy, costs pain. It's apparent all over the Bible that to get to the joy, oftentimes there's pain and struggles. A young adult asked me about these stories, the gruesome parts of the exodus. Excuse me, so many people die in this story. You think about it, there was a generation of Hebrew baby boys killed except for Moses who was spared there were enslaved Hebrews who paid the cost of that with their bodies. The plagues, and in the Passover, firstborn Egyptians were killed in that plague, that final plague that helped Pharaoh let the people go. The Egyptian armies swept away to join to drown in the sea. We struggle with it. We wonder about it. Yet, along with the Israelites, we can discover that there is new life in death. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at that, that if you are God's, God will fight for you. And that's why the Hebrews sing. That is why they dance in this moment. It was that way in the Passover. It was that way in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. There was incredible pain and suffering to go through first. God doesn't promise us a life of ease or sparing us from all pain and suffering. Instead, God promises to be with us in the midst of it, in the midst of the sea. God creates a new way for the Israelites, creating dry land for them to walk where previously there was only water. And if we look closely, we find them that to be true, that God is ready to meet us in our need, but not necessarily how we expect Often they're those detours for us to go on first. And God also knows that we need a push to step out. Miller calls it an inciting incident. We need that push into something new to move and to grow. For Miller, it was embarking on a trek to Machu Picchu in Peru. He says that he joined the trek by accident. He was making friends with and trying to impress a girl. And suddenly, there he is, signed up for a trek. He had to get fit. He had to overcome obstacles. What does this have to do with us at First Pres? Well, we come to worship on this Sunday, on many Sundays, and we open our ears anew to hear arguably one of the Bible's greatest hits. And it reminds us of who God is, that God's story can renew us, refresh our faith and our trust, but it can't just stop there with head knowledge or even heart knowledge. We get to decide, hopefully with the encouragement of others that know us, how we we will step out. And by how we step out and what we do next, we also communicate to others what stories are worth telling. So what is shaping us? What is propelling us towards change? What story are we telling about who we are and what matters most to us, individually and as a church? How do we live God's better story? Is the question. I want to encourage us to bravely share those questions and those stories with one another in the weeks ahead. There's a church leadership guy who first introduced me to this idea that church renewal, church transition is like the exodus. And he says this, people need a good story, a strong story, a true story to give them purpose and identity, but over time we grow weary and we lose hope, and we may begin telling a weak story instead, one of decline, one of retreat, one of obstacles, we get stuck, on retelling over and over what went wrong, why we are where we are. Does any of us this sound familiar to you in your own life? We or those around us can begin to sound like a broken record. We begin practicing our demise, says Rendell. Now it's good and healthy to name the difficulties, but not to get stuck there when we forget to take the next step of facing why we are where we are, of taking the next steps to say, how can we move on? How can we follow? Where is God leading us? And of course, at some point in every church's history, we likely get stuck in the past or in tradition. We might even begin to take a rear view mirror look on life. That past could be 1868 when the church was founded, Or the 1950s, 1980s, 2001, even 2021 post-pandemic? Any year will do. I often joke that churches not only have different time zones, because no two clocks in a church ever match, but also if you walk around the church, there's different eras. You can see in certain rooms which era you're in. Where might a church be stuck? Because while the church stands still, the culture speeds up and races right on past us until the next generation who comes in the doors may have a hard time recognizing the life we are promoting and how it matches anything that seems like their lives. At what point does fear or regret or looking backward take over a church? I don't know. But a transition time is a good time to ask those questions. What are we looking forward to? What do we value most? What story are we telling? And how do we live a better story? Even if we aren't trekking in the mountains or crossing the Red Sea, our journey together as a church and as friends matters. So that biblical story of the Exodus, Donald Miller's insight, offers this paradigm shift of how we see our stories. Conflict is not bad. I know that in our divided country, it's really hard for us to feel good about conflict or even to bring up difficult conversations, even in our own families. But conflict is good because it creates energy. Where there's conflict, it means that we are passionate about something, that it matters to us. And in that, there may be energy for change. It pushes us to step out. There's a story that says, um, in change, there's a phrase that is, that pain pushes and vision pulls. And so we need a combination of the two to make us do the next thing. And we can discover a new story out of conflict as well as fresh vision. And we can let God lead us, too, to cross the Red Sea, to find new starts in those stories that have us stuck, feeling trapped. We can partner with God to reinvent us. So how do we live not only a better story, but God's better story for us? One of the ways we do that is by telling our stories to one another. I encourage you to do that in your small groups, but also in the monthly time I've set up called Pastries with the Pastor. We had one meeting already last month. It's always the second week of the month. I encourage you to come again this next month where we will be telling stories, be looking again, looking back at First Prez's heritage, at our past stories of big faith and growth, Telling stories about joys and pain points, perhaps where we've become stuck, in order to find clarity on what the church values most. Talking about it together and trying to kind of dig through some of those stories to find clarity about where we want to go forward. And today, that's why we also have launched our stewardship campaign called Our Church and Our Journey. We can't expect God to lead us forward without asking God to lead us. That's why I've also asked and encouraged each of you to join together in a prayer initiative of a breath prayer, which is a simple prayer that you can pray as easily as breathing in and out. I'm asking us all to pray it in our committees, in our small groups, with our families, maybe even as you're standing in line somewhere, And it's a simple prayer, which we'll pray at the end of the service. Lead us, O God, guide us. There's power if we're all seeking God and praying together in the same direction. And in our Bible stories in the weeks ahead, we'll hear the struggles of the Israelites as God takes them on what appear to be detours after detour, a long, long journey. But it's actually giving time for God to shape them change them from being an enslaved people to a free people who freely want to follow God and to love and worship God in a new way. This story helps God uh, make a way where there is no way. We sang that song last week too, Waymaker. God is one who does that, even when the Red Sea is at your back. And the Egyptian army is coming your way. And since we follow Jesus who leads us, we know that the next steps in our story cannot only be about us, right? Jesus is the one who ate with sinners, who focused on the outcast, the marginalized, the ones who felt like they hadn't had attention or had someone truly see them. God looked at them. And so as we begin to discern, we can know that God will lead us again and again to all of God's children that need care. So how do we lead, how do we follow God's lead, and how do we live God's better story? Let me close with one last story. I'm going to show a video clip that Donald Miller tells about his friend Jason, whose family was on the brink of falling apart. It's not great quality video, but it, you can hear the story and it is really worthwhile to find out about a new challenge and a new story for Jason's family. Let's watch.
0: I have a friend whose daughter started doing drugs. She's 13, 14 years old, gothic gal. And we were getting together and, uh, and he was telling me, you know, she's dating this guy that I don't approve of and I try to drag her to church and these kinds of things. And I'm, I'm listening to this it just sounds like a bitter dad, you know? And I say to him, he says, "You know what? What should I do?" And I said, "You know, I think what she's choosing is is to be wanted and needed. She gets to play something like a princess. You know, she knows she's designed for this role, right? And with this guy, even though he's a loser, she gets to play this role in this story because you've provided a story that's just not as good." He's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "No, no, did you?" Everybody provides a story. As a pastor, you provide a story. As a dad, you provide a story. As a mom, you provide a story. As a teacher, you provide a story. And all she's doing is choosing a story that she likes better than your story. So he thinks about it. And he's like, well, what are they, well how do I do that? You know? And I tell him. And he goes back. And he goes nuts. He goes home. And he says, he says to his family, he, guides, he gets them all together. You know, his wife, He and his wife are about to get a divorce. In her story, she thinks she's causing a divorce, right? So he gets them together. He says, after about three weeks worth of the research, he says, "I found an orphanage in Mexico that needs a—I mean, I found a village in Mexico that needs an orphanage." Here's what's going to happen to these kids in this community if they don't get an orphanage. It's going to cost twenty-five thousand dollars. We're in debt up to our heels. We don't have the money. And they're all looking at him like, "So? We, you know?" He says, "We need to build it. We need to build it within two years. And if we don't build it, you know, some kids are probably not going to make it." And the family's just looking at him like, "You're nuts." And after about a week, the daughter comes to him and says, you know, I have this MySpace page. Maybe I could like tell my friends about it and we could get some support. And then the son, he had a son, he said, we're going to need passports if we're going to go to Mexico. And Oh, you want to visit this? Yeah, we need to visit it. All of a sudden, his whole family is wrapped up. She ends up breaking up, the little girl ends up breaking up with the guy. You know, you know why she broke up with the guy? Because she's found a better story. And now she's telling the dude, she's like, you don't understand, I, I, I'm a hero in a sense. She doesn't have words. I'm a hero in this story, and you're a loser, so I'm done with you, right? As Christians, we've been hijacked by a different story, and we're supporting a story that isn't as good as the story that God has provided for us. And as Christian leaders, we provide a great story for people to get wrapped up in. All right, thanks. Awesome.
3: So I hope you could catch that through the titles at least that when we give our families the opportunity, when we give ourselves the opportunity to participate in a bigger story, in God's bigger story, it takes all our energy, all our attention. We find we can't do it alone. So we invite other people in, we tap them on the shoulder and say, this is something amazing and I don't know how I'm gonna do it. So could you do this with me? Whether it's helping lead the children, in VBS or whether it's some other thing in the church. It could be uh, involvement in any of the many mission organizations in the church. I know that uh, you all have participated for a long time in building schools in the Congo. But what if we personally said, not just how we can be involved in this program, but what is the story that God wants me to tell with my life? What is the story God wants my family, to tell with our lives. What is our story? How does God want to lead us through the Red Sea? How does God want us to lead through the obstacles and invite everybody else in, into Jesus' bigger story of redemption and meaning and purpose? Like Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, And God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. What if we spent some time figuring out what that looks like? Not because we have to do it for our salvation, but because we do it in joyful gratitude and passionate excitement about what God might do next in us and through us. What might be our story? How could we live God's better story? Let us join together in this closing prayer. Say it with me, please. Lead us, O God, guide us. Amen.